Hello and welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast. What's up, everyone? Happy Friday, getting ready for a big weekend. I'm definitely excited about UFC 251, Fight Island on Saturday night. I've been geeked out about this one basically since the card was released, and it's here. This weekend is going to be huge, Saturday night. Uh, I'm uh, I'm just amped up, man. So if you're curious what I'm doing Saturday night, I will be sitting on my back porch watching UFC 251. So yeah, big weekend. What else is going on? MLB and NBA inching closer and closer. All 22 teams have arrived in Orlando, Florida. The bubble has been entered by 22 NBA teams. I think these next couple weeks are going to fly by as we get ready for both Major League Baseball and the NBA. Please do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, and if you want to tell your friends about it, that would be appreciated as well. I love the interaction with you guys at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, Colby.Daniels on Instagram. So hit me up. I, I, I mean, I love talking sports. That's what I do. So if you want to talk about something that we've discussed in the podcast, don't hesitate to uh, give me a shout out. Or if you just want to talk about something in general, I'd love to hear from you. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably get a little bit more access to just like daily life, hanging out with a little man, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, Colby.Daniels on Instagram. Awesome podcast today as we have a couple of guests. Joining me first is Kyle Crutchmer, former Oklahoma State All-American wrestler, currently undefeated as a professional fighter, and he's getting ready for his next fight in Bellator, which a couple days ago announced that they would be restarting things on July 24th. So excited to see what's next for Kyle. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Kyle Crutchmer. Uh, that's where he will post the details as soon as he knows them on his next fight. And again, Bellator's starting July 24th, and they're going to try to do the same thing I think that the UFC has done and basically set up uh, one spot. And because everybody's been on such a long break and everybody's ready to fight, I think they're going to try to knock out like several events in a short period of time. So excited to see what's next for Kyle. But Kyle joins me, and we break down UFC 251, Fight Island. So a little preview of the main card there. And then we're going to talk Patrick Mahomes' contract with Josh Briscoe from Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Also, Arrowhead Report on Sports Illustrated Now. That's SI Now. So he's going to fill us in on the details beyond just the 10 years, $503 million, uh, all the mechanisms surrounding this contract and what it means for Kansas City going forward. But I'm excited about this podcast episode. And again, I appreciate you guys listening. So here you go. We'll start with Kyle Crutchmer. Kyle, what's going on, man? Not much, man. Just uh, quarantining and uh, working out, getting ready for this uh, next fight. Hopefully, I'll get some news soon. Um, but they just announced that we're going to be running Bellator July 24th. So, um, just staying ready, getting ready, and uh, ready to go again. So, uh, when I asked you to come on the podcast yesterday, it was before I saw the news about Bellator coming back on the 24th, and we were just going to talk about this card coming up in uh, at Fight Island this weekend, but big news, and I did read that I guess they're going to kind of just set it up at one location and do as many fights as they can kind of pack into a small amount of time? Yeah, that's what... Uh... I don't know all the details. I, I know I know a little bit more than I think people do, but um, as of right now, they're going to start July 24th, and I think they're trying to do 10 fights in a row. Um, that could obviously change, you know, with everything going on. And um, But, 
yeah, man, I, I think uh, July 24th, they're going to get everything going. And I think without any hiccups, we'll probably see, you know, a couple cards back to back. So I, uh, I saw that uh, you got some of your boys out there with you in California and it uh, looks like you guys are just kicking ass every day. Yeah. I mean, we're, uh, you know, I got guys, I got buddies on my college team that are chasing the Olympic dream. I got a, a buddy now who moved out here full time. He lives with me. Uh, he wrestled Oklahoma State. He was a two-time All-American named Nick Piccinini. Uh, I know if, if people follow wrestling, they know who he is. And uh, we got another guy coming out here, Jacoby Smith, also wrestled Oklahoma State with me. So yeah, I mean we're just we're just all chasing, you know, world championship type stuff. And it's good to be around each other and and you know feed off each other when 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 you're battling for things like that. So. Okay, since the last time we talked, I threw out the idea of Kyle Cobra. Crutchmer, has that resonated with you at all? Mm, not yet. I think it's gonna take. I think it's gonna take a little bit. I think it's gonna take probably two or three more fights um, for people to start, you know, really recognizing who I am. And and I think uh, I think the the nickname will hopefully come from there. Or like I said, man, I'm I'm really I'm really cool with not having a nickname. So, um, but we'll see. It's definitely. Uh, I think it's gonna take a little bit more time. A couple more fights you know, and, and, and how I, and, and kind of get that personality going. And I think people will, will, will start throwing out names then for sure. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so I, I do want to hit the, uh, the big card this weekend at fight Island, but I have to ask if you watched the Poirier hooker fight a couple weeks ago, I think that was the last big event that, uh, that the UFC had. And for my money, I mean, that was as good a fight I think as I've ever seen in the UFC. It's easily one of, one of the top five. Yeah, I was very, very uh, – yeah, they started throwing right away, uh, and then they didn't stop. And that's hard to do, especially, you know, you're wasting a lot of energy throwing power like that and throwing bombs. Um, but that's why those guys get paid, you know. That's why those guys are in the top five, top ten in the in the world in their weight classes. And that's why uh, Poirier has actually fought for a belt, you know, and, and I can see him fighting again for a belt. But, uh, yeah, man, those guys, those guys went at it. It was a lot of fun. I don't know how they made it to full five, but, uh, yeah, they, uh, they were throwing heat pretty much the whole time towards the end. They got a little tired, but they stayed in there and kept going. And, you know, that's as, as a fighter, you respect that a lot. And, uh, I think as an average fan too, you know, you see guys willing to do that to themselves in there. You're in a lot of respect from them. That was one of those fights. If you're ever going to make like an MMA movie, that's the kind of fight you're going to show in the movie, kind of like the Rocky movies, how none of those fights actually look like the boxing fights that you watch because everything lands and everything just looks like a knockout punch. That was kind of that yeah. fight. I just thought that's that's a movie-type scenario where, I mean, their their landing percentage was like 60 or 70%, something just completely absurd. Yeah, I, I know there was one round. I think they both uh, threw over 100 strikes each and landed something crazy, so... Yeah, man, those guys were definitely in there to, to fight for their spot and fight for the next uh, chance at a belt. And I think uh, I think they both proved that they belong and where they belong. And I think you're going to see a lot more from both those guys uh, in the next coming fights. All right, so UFC 251 this Saturday night, Fight Island. It's all going down. The, the card is, I mean, just absolutely spectacular. Yes, it's... Uh, the three, the three main fights are, are, are just worth watching it alone. Um, there are some undercard fights that I, people probably wouldn't know those guys' names very well, but 
they have some really good fights on there as well. And um, but the three main ones, you know, those are going to be those are going to be exciting by themselves. So uh, yeah, man, and, and it's a cool cool little spot they're doing it. You know, they're, they're the whole idea of Fight Island and, and bringing guys to Yaz Island and uh, having them compete out there for belts and things like that. You know, and then you have Jorge Masvidal on there now. And, yeah, it's 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 really exciting. I can't name – I don't know if I could go back in time and, and remember a card where I was this excited about. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, there are three titles on the line. The final three fights of the night are are mega fights, if you will. Um, let's start with the, the, the main main event – uh, and that's your weight class, right? 170. Uh, it's yep, Usman, it's class. Masvidal, and Gilbert Burns test positive for COVID, so they make the switch. And originally, when Gilbert Burns got that fight, I think a lot of people felt like maybe Masvidal should have been next in line, but they were having the money discussions and all of that, and it kind of seemed like it fell apart, and it was just easy to slide Gilbert Burns in there, especially following the Tyron Woodley fight. So all of this goes down. What do you think of the Masvidal matchup as opposed to what the Burns matchup would have been for Usman? I think, man, I think, I think Masvidal uh, presents a, a more of a challenge on his feet, but I think Gilbert Burns would have presented more of a challenge on the ground. So I think it actually benefits uh, Usman in the, uh, in the main card with Masvidal more than I thought he, he could handle with Burns. Um, you know, but Usman has been doing, I mean, Masvidal has been doing this for a really long time. You know, I think he's almost close to 50 fights. He's been training. He had guys that, uh, I wrestled in college. there, helping him out with wrestling a couple weeks ago with, uh, Bo Nickel. And, uh, I think the other guy from Penn state that was there, but he, uh, so, I mean, he's been training wrestling. I'm sure he knows how to defend a little bit, but I think Gilbert Burns would have been a tougher fight because of his, uh, jujitsu background and things like that. His grapplings are very, very good. But uh, I, I, if Usman stays up on his feet too long, I think you'll have a lot of trouble. But I, I don't I don't see him being a, you know, a dumb fighter. I see him being a really smart fighter. I think the fight's kind of going to go like it did with, when he fought Woodley. As far as the, the short notice for Masvidal, how much do you think that plays into the, the whole matchup? Or does it, does it kind of I think- both sides of it feel that impact? Uh, I think I don't know so much about how Usman uh, I don't know if it'll affect him as much I think he might have a little bit more confidence knowing that the guy he's fighting has only had six days uh, but I was watching a thing with Poirier and, and he was sparring Poirier five rounds uh, before his fight and that was I think a week ago two weeks ago um, and I don't think he stopped training you know I think Masvidal will be in a, a pretty good uh, shape but I don't know if he's going to be in wrestling shape. Uh, I think he'll be able to do really well the first three rounds, and if it goes past that, I think he'll he'll be in a little bit of trouble, especially if Usman's putting the wrestling pace on him and using the cage and things like that. Um, but the first two rounds, man, four-ounce gloves, anything can happen, you know, and if you watch Masvidal fight, that guy's a gamer, and he throws a lot of heat, and he uh, he's very, very talented on his feet. But I just don't see Usman really giving him much to to be able to do that. I think he's gonna walk him into the cage, take him down, hold him down, and eventually wear him out to where he. You know, I don't think he'll finish the fight, but he'll definitely control the later rounds. Do you think there's ever maybe a pressure for a guy like Usman in, on a big stage like this to fight his kind of fight versus maybe do the the stand up kind of give the crowd the sort of you know trade trade blows type fight that they want to see? 
I think there's a little bit of pressure. Um, I know as a wrestler, you know, a lot of people are like asking, even me, they're asking me like, when are you going to start standing up more and things like that? But as a wrestler, it's just something we've been doing. I've did this for 20 years, you know, like when I, when I get in the cage, I, I'm going to end up wrestling you, you know, it's just what is going to happen. So I, I don't necessarily think Usman will buy into that. I need to be, especially with a guy like Masvidal. I think he knows how dangerous Masvidal is. Um, you know, his, his takedown defense is actually pretty good. But uh, I don't think if Usman truly wants to win this fight, I don't think he'll veer away from his wrestling. I think he'll go in there, pressure. He'll have to throw because it's not just going to be an easy takedown. But I, I think uh, I think eventually he'll get him on the ground, and I think he might think it's easier than he thought, and then just keep wrestling after that. I mean, he, I if I was his coach, that's what I would tell him. The uh, the Usman Colby fight, it seemed like Usman was. I mean, they were on their feet a lot. I felt like in that one, and it, it nearly went the distance. Yes. I think he got Colby yeah. late in the fight, but I, I felt like they traded blows for the majority of the time. And and Colby's and Colby's striking's not as high level as Masvidal. Masvidal's been you know fighting forever. I mean, fifty class, fights. Yeah. yeah, you have you have fifty fights. You know, you and you knocked out a lot of really good dudes. You can you can throw hands, you know. And I think with Colby, Colby's pressures a lot lot more than a lot of people's. But he fought Usman, who's a wrestler who knows that pressure. And I think if if he stands like he stood with Colby, I don't think he'll win the fight. I think he'll end up getting hurt actually. Um, but I don't I don't see Usman doing that this time. I see Usman taking him down pressure pressure put him on the cage take away some of the stuff try to fatigue his power a little bit put him on the ground even if he gets up to stay in his face and eventually kind of break his will a little bit and, and i think he'll uh like i said i think the first two will be tough but i think if he can get past those i think he'll eventually wear him out is this uh is this a finish fight or does it go to the, the distance I think I think both these guys are very, very obviously very, very good. Um, but I think it's such an opposite fight for Masvidal. I don't think I don't think Usman will finish him on the ground because I think Masvidal is that tough. But I, I think it's going to go the distance. But I think Usman is going to win a decision. I think I think that's where I'm leaning. I, you know, Masvidal is just one of those dudes that it, it has dynamite in his hand, and so any given yes. point. Like he lands that, it's over. Which, which is why he pops he, the way he, that he does, right? He's such a big draw yes. because of that. Yeah, I mean, he wins this fight not by knockout. He'll be just as big as Conor McGregor, and I and I know people say no way, but I mean, he's he's that superpower type stuff right now. He goes out and he does something crazy: head kick, right hand, knocks him out. It's gonna be hard to not know that that guy's a big deal because I mean his knockout of Ben Askren was just so crazy <laughs> you know that that shook the world really you know in the MMA world the regular you know just everyday fan type stuff so I think if he wins on six days notice in this environment with this many people watching I think he's as big as Conor McGregor is and I think he's close anyway I mean I, I have friends that are are fringe UFC guys and they weren't necessarily super interested in this card, but when Masvidal got put into the main event, they completely, you know, switched around, and they're they're all for it now. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely 
he's this fight if he wins and he does it in a crazy fashion he'll be he'll he'll probably be the biggest mma fighter at this time right now as far as draw wise besides conor mcgregor and and that's and that's a big deal i mean he'll be bigger than jones he'll be bigger than all those guys his personality just fits it you know he uh the Mad motherfucker yeah he is 100 <laughs> he's fucking he's he can fight you know he started out in the street fighting you know he just has like that he has a, that thing that thing that that people are drawn to you know a lot of people can relate you know a lot of people that that do street fights that have been in the street fights are like man if this guy can do it you know so can i i mean he started out with no sort of real background except just fighting for a little bit of money in the backyards with people that were just down so um you know and his persona and the things he's done now and uh you know his little super necessary type stuff he says and it's got a lot of attention and you know i think uh if he can put this one away and win the belt I think he'll be a really, really big deal. One of those like transcend the sport type of guys that becomes just yes. global. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, guys, guys like me want him to do this for sure. For you sure, know, we we need guys like this that are willing to to hold out and get paid more than what they what they've been paid, and then go win a belt. Because if he wins a belt, he's going to want a lot more money, and you can't really have him not fighting. So. Um, the more he gets paid, the more everybody gets paid. Same with Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor did this, did that thing, and now people are getting paid a lot more money because of him as well. So now you have two guys, and then the next guy will come, and the next guy will come, and then that's how guys like me get paid a lot of money. So, so Holloway Volkanovski is the uh, co-main event, and again, we kind of joked there, there are three main events essentially in this one, but um, the first fight with these guys – I don't know about you. I, I thought Volkanovski just dominated the fight. I mean, really from start to finish. And I know Max kind of pushed late. Uh, and like he does, he just forces the action so much. But, um, yeah. you know, the leg kicks, I think, early kind of set the tone. And, and it just never really seemed to sway the other way. Volkanovski fought a really, really smart fight. A very, very smart fight. He, uh, when you watch him and you, and you listen to him talk, he's very confident. He's uh he doesn't get tired, and that's how Max beats a lot of guys. You know, if you go watch Max, you don't really put guys away. He beats them in the later rounds, and uh, I don't think he's going to be able to do that with this guy. And he's fighting a very very powerful, you know, human being as well. The guy used to weigh two hundred forty pounds. So um, I think when you got a fighter, a guy like that, that kind of matches your, you know, your striking abilities. Uh, probably the grappling abilities too. I mean, they didn't really grapple too much the last fight. I think Volkanovski tried to take him down two or three times and he couldn't. Um, but I think he's just more well-rounded. You know, I'm, I like Max. I've been around Max. Uh, he's a good guy. He's fun to be around. I just don't know if he's going to be able to handle Volkanovski right now. I, I just think it's, a, you know, a turning of the whole guard. And uh, the last fight just wasn't close enough for me to – to see how that's going to change. But Max is one of the greatest at, at, at the weight class ever. So, um, you know, there's still that. And his boxing is really clean. And, you know, he's a smart fighter. And, and, you know, he's won many belts for a reason. I just, if I had to pick, I think I'm going to stick with Volkanovski again. 
Max is one of my favorite guys to watch strictly because of the volume, right? It just never seems to stop. But to your point, he doesn't really take you out. It's rounds three, four, and five that, you know, all of a sudden, just the amount of times that he's touching you, it starts showing and it becomes glaring in the later rounds because it's so much. But, like, you didn't really see that in that first fight with Volkanovski. And I don't know how, like, I'm watching that. And I rewatched it again about a week ago, and I'm I don't see what he does to to really change the outcome. I guess. Yeah, well, if you watch him, if you watch Max fight Poirier, you see that Max don't carry a lot of power. Right. And when you don't see a lot of power, even if you're point fighting, the guy with more power is going to snap your head and and do a little bit more damage than you're doing. And from a fan and from a, uh, you know, a, not a ref, but a judge, when you, when a guy, when you're seeing that, you, you know, the guy that's throwing the head back off the punches and, and the, the redness on the legs and things like that, that's the guy that you see that's winning. Um, so even if Max throws a lot of volume, he's not really, you know, he's not cutting Volkanovsky. He's not snapping his head back. He's not causing any real damage um, to the judges. And then on the opposite end, you see Volkanovski kicking really hard, throwing heat. He's loading up some shit. He's trying to knock your head off. And I think that's kind of where the, the difference is in those two guys. And, and, and another thing, if Volkanovski don't get tired, and that's, that's Max's number one thing that he's always had. And I just don't see, I don't see Volkanovski getting tired. I just don't see it. And I don't, I don't see Max being able to, to throw enough heat to really put him away. So you're going Volkanovski decision? I am. All right. I, and I, I, think, I think we're two I for two. I don't think it's going to be – I don't think it's a decision. I think he's finishing him. Oh, you think he's going to finish him? I think he's going to finish him. I think by round three. Oh, okay. Because I, I, I believe I, – I believe – I just think the guy throws a lot of power. And I think if he lands it with the guys his size, I, I really don't know if they're going to be able to handle that. And I think he got a lot more confidence than he did the first fight. You know, he has to come in and beat the champ the last fight. So some of the stuff he was doing is a little bit more point fight. And I, I don't think he'll do that this fight. I think he'll end up trying to finish him a little bit more this time. think Max presses a little bit, knowing that he lost the last one the way that he did? I think, yes. I think Max will go to the body a little bit more in the beginning because he started having success towards the end to the body. So he's going to have to find – he'll have to find the body shots and things like that to try to slow him down. If he can do that, it'll go to a decision. But he'll have to – he'll have to really – he'll have to really put some put some uh, heat into those things for him to, to really slow him down, I think. <clears throat> All right, so the third title that's on the line, Peter Yawn and uh, Josie Aldo. Does Aldo have enough in the tank in your mind to be a real contender in this? Yes, I think – I'm actually taking Aldo. Oh, yeah. I mean, he beat Morass. Yeah, uh, and that's Marlon, and that's a tough dude. That dude was giving it to Henry. He was, and he beat him pretty, pretty convincingly. I thought. If you go watch the fight, I don't see what. There was only one thing that happened in that fight that made it look like Marlon had anything, and that was at the beginning with the head kick. Um, but Aldo, man, I just don't see. I don't see dudes hanging with him. Still, I mean, he's only like 33 years old. Yeah. He's not that old. And he was the man for a really long time. He's, a, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think Peter Yan is good, but he hasn't, Yan, to get this, had to fight Uriah Favor. 
Uriah Faber's been out of the game for a really long time. He's in his 40s now, right? Yes. Yeah. He's like 41, 42. He's DC's age. But I just don't I don't think he can hit. I, I just think Aldo's gonna Aldo has power. He kicks hard and he and he hits really, really hard. His grappling's good, his takedown defense is good. I'm going with OG on that one. Okay. I'm gonna stick with him. I, I do like Peter Yon. I think he's a good fighter. I think he's well rounded. I just haven't seen him really I he I mean he beat up Uriah Faber to me, you know, and like Uriah's a really good fighter. You know, he's had a lot of success, but he's forty years old, he's not training full time anymore. And Peter Yon, yeah, he embarrassed him. But I'm gonna take Aldo. That might be I I, I can see where my decision could be wrong, but I'm I'm definitely I'm sticking with the OG. I think he's gonna take it. I think he's gonna get it. Hey, I like that you went out there. This one, to me, though, either way, kind of feels like a finish fight versus going the distance. Yeah, I can see this one finishing. And I and I, I think it's going to be something kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't see it being like just a right hand or something. I think it's going to be like a knee off a break or like someone throws some spinning shit. Or I think like an elbow, maybe. I don't see it just being like off boxing. And people forget all those boxings really good. He put Jeremy Stevens out with two body shots, and Jeremy Stevens is one of the toughest fighters in, in, in you know in the UFC. Um, and I just, I mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if Peter can can really handle that yet. But I don't know. But he hasn't had he hasn't had any he hasn't fought anybody like Aldo. Sure. You know, yeah. you know, he has, I mean, Aldo was a guy for a really long time and Aldo beat Marlon hundred percent. If you go watch the fight, he beat him, controlled it and everywhere boxing started finding stuff. And Aldo's a big ass one thirty five pounder big. Cause he was big at 45. Sure. So I just think, I think this will be like a, like a, I think it might be a little bit of an ass whipping to be honest. <laughs> so not just a win and ass whipping. I love it. I do. I do. I, I'm. T- that's what I listen. This uh, hey, I'm going to text this. you Saturday night if Aldo starts whipping his ass. I'm going to be like, Crutch called okay. it. Holy shit. Yeah. But you know, this is this is why this is why fight predictions are fun. Yeah. And this is why it's it's fun talking about this stuff because realistically, we don't know. But, you know, I, I've been around fighting and, and I've been around in a while now. And, you know, I've studied a lot of these guys and I'm a big Aldo guy. You know, I think uh, not just because of his past. I mean, the guy beat Marlon Morass and Marlon, I mean. Marlon's a bad dude. You watch yeah. Marlon's a bad dude. He's a big dude. And I just don't know if Peter's going to have enough. I think Aldo's seen so many guys at 45 that carry power that I don't know if a 35-er is going to be able to to throw heat like that. I mean, 10-pound difference, you know? So, um, and when I spar guys that weigh 185 pounds compared to the guys I fight, there's a big difference there. You can feel a lot more. <clears throat> so, but I don't know. I, if, if I'm picking right now, I'm going Aldo ass-whipping by the third. Nice, nice. I, I Look, I think there's also something to be said for – how many times Aldo's been in the, you know, bright light situation. I don't know how much that plays into it. You could probably, I mean, reflect on that better, but that's got to count for something, I would imagine, yes. on a card of this magnitude. Yes. 
and you see it with a lot of a lot of fighters a lot of guys that have been the champ fight these guys that haven't won it and they beat them even off the, like with john jones and uh reyes john jones started beating them towards the end of the fight and it's just i think i think experience will kind of start playing a little bit of role like you said in this fight and i think aldo still has a lot more in his tank and i get i mean we're about to find out though so but, I'm, uh, dude i'm I ready do, i'm ready for I, saturday night already yeah I do sports bets, and I'm definitely going to do a parlay on all the underdogs. Because there's, I mean, the three top fights, the underdogs are still guys that have a very high chance of winning. So that's uh, but yeah, if you're picking my pick, man, I'm going Aldo on the, on that one. I did see this morning that I think Paige Van Zant is a plus six hundred. I can see. I it. mean, that's uh, if you want to go a long shot. Yeah, because Paige is good. Paige yeah. is good. She, you know, her boyfriend's a good fighter. Uh, she, I mean, she's around good dudes. So, uh, and I don't know who she true. I know she was at Alpha Male for a while. Um, so she, her skills probably really good still. Um, and she has. I think she might be in a very comfortable place with you know because I see some of the social media that her and her boyfriend post sometimes on like those whatever MMA junkie and stuff like that. So. She seems like she's in a good place, and if you're in a good place, you're you know you can be dangerous. So, uh, but I don't know on that one. I don't know if I don't, I'm not going to take Paige. I don't think. I think <laughs> she's a little bit too. Uh, I think she's been around. She's like a celebrity now. Yeah. You know she's and I think when people start getting a lot of that, you know the attention with the magazines and stuff like that. Like I think they lose a little bit of focus on, you know, the whole fight scene. So. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't see her winning that fight. You got a winner in uh, Jessica Rose. Mm, yeah, I'm gonna take Rose. I think Rose is good. I think she's. Uh, I think she carries a lot of power. Um, and Jessica, she's strong as fuck. Obviously, she lifted her up, slammed her. But that's like one of those that just I don't see happening again. You know, I don't see her getting underneath her, lifting her up and spiking her on her head. You know, I think Rose finishes her. I think early, probably. I think the first two rounds. Nice. I mean, she finished, uh, what's her name? Fucking Joanna. Yeah. And that chick can fight. So I was at the Wei Ling and her fight, like front row. And I, I think uh, I think Rose carries a lot of power for uh, her size so I, I feel my interest in the the women's divisions from where it was when they started to where it is now is I mean like polar opposite ends I mean I I, I wasn't too big on it in the early days but I mean it, it seems like almost every time they're putting out great fights yeah these girls can fight right that's that's really how I remember it really starting and uh, now I, I I see uh, I see a lot more skill and, you know, we have girls in our camp that, that, you know, they spar with some of the guys and they do well. So these girls can fight, man, and, and they're fun to watch and they have big names and they're big draws. And, you know, now they're getting main card stuff. Now they're getting, you know, co-mains and things like that. So um, that that's going to continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And these girls, you know, there's a lot of skill and there's a lot of girls out there that now, you know, they're learning the right stuff and, you know, a lot more are drawn to it. 
and if, if you if you know anything about wrestling girls wrestling is getting a lot bigger too so i think you know women combat sports is just really really on the rise right now and um it's, it's good to see we both agree on usman we both agree on Volkanovski. We're split on uh, Jan and Aldo, and then I think on the other two, we're we're in a great. So, so four of the five we agree on. Yeah, which is cool, but it, it, but one of us has to get all five though. <laughs> one of it, there's there's that one fight that's going to make the difference, and uh, and I and I know I'm right. All right. So, Look, I, I actually hope you're right. I'm a, I, I like Aldo, so I hope yeah. I'm wrong that I'm picking Jan, but I hope I'm wrong. UFC wants Aldo to win, so Henry comes back. Is Henry coming back if that happens? I, I think so. You know, it was really interesting to me when he retired, they took him out of the rankings. And then mm-hmm. Connor says he retired, and Connor's still there. Yeah. The, the thing about Henry seemed a little bit more sincere. Yeah. The way he retired. You know, he kind of talked about the gimmick he was playing, and you guys don't have to see it. He sounded like he was really retiring. Um, Connor, he's a little bit, he's always, you know, he's on social media all the time talking about I'm not retired. You know, I'm retiring, but I'm not retired. Keep me in the rankings. These guys are bums. He's always tweeting after fights and stuff. So he seems a little bit more in there. And Connor's a huge draw. So you got to keep him in. With Henry, Henry comes back, he gets an immediate title shot, no matter what. And that's just what it is. And um, so I, I, I see Henry coming back for Aldo. That's a big fight. Aldo's a big name. Peter Yan hasn't really got a huge name yet. So I think if uh, Aldo wins, I, I think we see Henry Cejudo back. All right, so before I give you my, my, uh, my pipe dream of what could happen, I, I want to get your thoughts first on what do you think about Connor at 170? It depends on the matchup. Masvidal wins the belt. He supersedes the sport and becomes that global type figure. Masvidal Connor then becomes maybe the biggest fight out there. Biggest fight ever. Biggest yeah. fight ever. If Mas- Masvidal has to really, really, he has to put Usman away. Because Connor, if you go back, Connor's biggest fight ever when he became really Connor McGregor was when he knocked out all of them. Because he did it how he did it. If Mazadol can do something like that, it'll be that you have to make that fight. That'll be it'll be over. I bet I bet it clears a million and a half pay per view. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll be insane. It'd be crazy. Connor and Connor and Habib did a million. That's the biggest fight of all time. But I think Masvidal and McGregor will be just the would be massive. The shit talking, the I mean, they won't be. They'll have to wait for COVID to be over to do that. Yeah, because that'll be it'll be like. I mean, I'll tune in every time. I'll tune in to watch what they have to say to each other. I'll tune in. I'll buy the press conference. You know, Absolutely. I know a yeah. lot of people a lot of people will pay to watch those two talk shit back and forth. Kyle, just tell me oh. where the fight is. I will drive there and quarantine in yeah. a parking spot for two weeks to go see. Yeah, it. I'll sit outside. I'll just sit outside <laughs> and watch it on big screen. So definitely, definitely 
that's and and now you say that UFC really is probably pushing for that. Now, if Usman wins, you don't put Connor in there with Usman. I mean, it's just another wrestler. He'll just take him down, hold him down, beat his ass. I mean, Connor can't. It's just you can't defend wrestling unless you've been doing it for a really long time. You just can't. Um, and and the size will be Usman's a big dude. And the size would be too much. But I think with Masvidal, Masvidal was a 55er for a really long time. I think you can make that fight happen, and it, and it seemed logical. Who do you like so, in that fight, just off the top of your head without? I'll take McGregor in that fight. Really? I think McGregor's striking is very, 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 very calculated. I mean, just – you know, have you ever watched DC's detailed show? Oh, yeah. Have you watched him talk about Connor? Mm-hmm. And how he how he faints and things like oh, that. Yeah. That's different. That's really different. And I think And he's so if, awkward. And he's really long yeah. and he knows how to use it. I just think you got I mean, don't get me wrong, it'll be tough. It'll be tough for Connor. Connor will have to deal with some of that power. But I think McGregor will put him away. I just think he's that talented on his feet. I think he's the best on his feet in the world. He just does it to everybody. Yeah. If you can't wrestle, he puts you to sleep. Yeah. Fingers crossed. That's the way it goes. I'd love to see Fingers it. Fingers crossed. 100%. That'll be, that'll be massive. It'll be massive. I mean, th- those, two will, those two will change MMA. I think if you put those two together, you'll change MMA. I think Habib and, and Connor kind of did, but it's such a one-sided deal. You know, I mean, if, you, if, if, you, if they fight again, it's not going to change any. So, I think – if you're the UFC, you're really pushing for this mess at all thing to happen. Yeah. By the way, what uh, what a crazy division 155 is right now and how the hell they're going to sort that thing out is, especially when you consider Habib's father passing away and, like, what the timeline becomes for him. Like, that division is insane. Yeah. And what's crazy is no one's beating the number one guy. Right. It's like everyone's fighting second. Oh, so I gotcha. I think we froze up there for a minute. <laughs> Yeah, you got me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you are. Okay. Um, yeah, I just said I don't. I don't know a, a scary, a more scary individual now than Habib. His next, his next fight, whoever he fights is 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 fucked. Is is going to be completely fucked. And it's just, I, I mean, I can't explain to you. I know Habib. I've been around Habib for about three years now. I train with him, and his family is a big deal to him. And I know people's families are big deals. But it's, it's a little bit different than that. And I think whoever he has next probably should wait and try to get the next one. So, um, yeah, I think everybody's fighting for second until he retires. I agree, man. I agree. But it's, it's, uh, it's fun to watch it play out because you have, like, five right. dudes in that division that, if Habib wasn't around, could, could realistically be world champions. The scariest person for Habib right now is Justin Gaethje. That's, I think he's just scarier than anybody out there. I think he's scarier than Tony Ferguson. I think he's scarier than Conor McGregor because he can wrestle. He's Division One All American, and he doesn't give a fuck. He wants to <laughs> throw heat, and that's a scary dude. I mean, that's what he said when he, when he talks about his losses. That's what he says. He's like, "Yeah, I just I got I had too much fun, and I didn't give a fuck if I got hit, and then I got caught." Yeah. I got caught. 
He says, literally, you're going to sleep or I'm going to sleep. And that, when you fight someone that really believes that, I mean, that's some scary shit. But you know you're going to hit him, though. Yeah. You know at yeah. some point you're going to hit him. But when you hit him, you got to put him away. And I think – I just think that would be a really, really tough fight for yeah. Habib. That's, that, that's another one. I'll, I'll go camp out for two weeks. Yeah, that's to. that'll be – the press – the press conferences and things like that won't be that fun because they both respect each other. Yeah. Um, but I think the fight will be so high intensity that people will want to watch it. That'll, that'll do over half a million pay-per-view. Yeah. It'll be great. For sure. Yeah. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. We will, uh, I'll touch base with you, especially on Saturday okay. night when we're watching it play out, but, uh, always fun and uh, appreciate the insight, my friend. Yes, sir. I'll see you guys. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care, bud. Yeah, me too. That was Kyle Crutchmer. If you want to follow him and, and keep track of when his next fight is, uh, you can definitely follow him on Twitter, at Kyle Crutchmer. As we switch gears to the NFL and the Patrick Mahomes contract, we are joined by Josh Briscoe with Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City and Arrowhead Report on SI Now. Josh, what's happening today? I'm just trying to figure out how I would spend $500 million over the course of uh, the next 10 to 12 years. It's not useful, uh, but it is what I'm doing. I feel like if I ended up with $500 million, there's a good chance that I take the Jordan Belfort pa- uh, path. I think, here's the thing. What I like about that question of like what would happen to your $500 million is, is that it immediately gets to the core of what you are either concerned about with how you would handle money or the thing in your life that most bothers you. So like my first thing would be like, I got to find a car that doesn't constantly have every problem. There you go. Now you've gotten to my biggest stressor. You clearly, uh, you know, have some, have some concerns about where your money would go. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things that we've all been locked up for like six months. I'm ready to jump on a yacht or a helicopter and just go enjoy <laughs> life a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy enjoy life uh lose the money go to prison uh, have a movie made after you like look, i'm not saying that's the best way to spend half a billion dollars but it's a way no question well maybe you invest half of that into some sort of fund to prevent you from going to prison maybe that's where he went wrong that's perfect and boom you just discovered capitalism my man welcome <laughs> that you just unlocked it that was the key the secret pharaoh well, what what the hell is Patrick Mahomes going to buy? And and I guess let's start with this. As far as the contract goes, how does how does this money impact him immediately? I I've seen kind of the structure of the deal, but what was your take on how this thing was laid out originally? Yeah, so like immediately, his his, his financial income is not going to change by very much. Like he'll he'll have uh, about a hundred million dollars of it guaranteed fully by March. But this year, like his salary cap hit this year is changing by, I think, 30 grand. Like it's going to be still his rookie number. Even next year, it's going to be about 25 million, which was about the cost of his fifth year option. And then in 2022, it's still at 31 million. Kirk Cousins is going to make $31 million next year. Like it, it, these are not crazy numbers until farther down the line. So he's going to keep making uh, just an exorbitant amount of money from endorsements. And some of those early guarantees are going to kick in and he'll be just fine until those big numbers start coming. But they really are several years down the road, which I found really interesting. So when I saw the number 477 million guaranteed, and I, I saw the word with guaranteed mechanisms, 
attached to yeah. that. What what exactly does that mean? I, I've heard that occasionally in, in the contract terminology, but it's not something that I'm very familiar with. Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked because no one was very familiar with it as of uh, Monday or whatever that would have been, like uh, 2 o'clock or something. Uh, and since then, it has become a phrase that I've tattooed on my arm and uh, the definition is tattooed on my heart at this point. So here's here's how it breaks down. These they are, they are guarantees, but they're rolling guarantees, which is a phrase you've probably heard a little bit more of. And so, especially at about 2025, about halfway through this contract, what happens is the, the next year's salary becomes guaranteed on the third day of the previous league year. And so there are lots of times in contracts where you'll say like, you know, this $16 million becomes fully guaranteed on the third day of this league year. So you'll see the team uh, either, you know, be committed to this guy or cut him at the very beginning of the league year. So they don't have to pay him that money. They'll move on to that money elsewhere. But for Mahomes, you know, for, for most guys, that's for that season. For Mahomes, if they wanted to avoid, you know, uh, let's say things go horribly wrong, which I don't think they're going to, but let's just say they do. Things go horribly wrong, and Patrick Mahomes coming up all on that 2027 year, where his cap number right now is set at $60 million. It's really the only outrageous year on the whole deal, which, again, I think is pretty interesting. But, you know, they go, okay, well, we don't want to pay him that $60 million in 2027. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll release him before the 2027 season and then get that off the books. And that's not how that would work. If you if you were to, to release Patrick Mahomes in beginning uh, before the 2027 season, you would have him come off the book for 2028 and beyond. But his 2027 money gets guaranteed on the third day of the league year in 2026. So what it really does is it creates a, a huge protection there for Mahomes that no matter what, his next year is guaranteed and he's going to be on the cash. He's going to get that cash. And for the Chiefs, it, it gives them a break glass in case of disaster button that they can, they can get to and say, all right, something terrible happens. We can get out from under this after only one year still carrying this money while he plays somewhere else. But really, I actually think that the more we've looked into this, you know, most of the time you look at a, a long-term NFL contract, and the guaranteed money is the only real thing, and everything else is just that. You know, every five-year, hundred million-dollar deal is really three years for sixty. That's you know, that's just we've all kind of learned to understand that. For Mahomes, I really do think that that four seventy-seven is is guaranteed, except for disaster. And and I think that the, the guaranteed mechanisms rolling over like that one year covering the next at all times is is a really really interesting setup to see through the life of the entire deal. Obviously, he has a chance to go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game, and he's only started 31 regular season games, which is mind-blowing to me when you think about just the the short amount of time he's actually been on the football field, what he's already accomplished, and the physical skill set certainly is is head and shoulders above anybody else doing the same thing that he's doing. So I, having said all that, I don't think you could pay the guy enough to, to ultimately give him a fair contract, but my only question is, how does this impact Kansas City as a team and them being able to continue to put pieces around him to help him along the way? Yeah, so, I mean, that's the big question, right? Like, and, and it's actually something that he talked about, that GM Brett Leach talked about, that Andy Reid all talked about in their press conference whenever all three of them got together and, and talked to the media for a while. 
it's something they're all cognizant of. And, and I think a lot of times that can be taught, right? Say, you know, I want to make sure I, get, I keep having great players around me. But I really do think that even though sometimes that can be kind of some cheese around that, I, I really think that it's, it's at least somewhat true for Mahomes. You know, his dad being a professional athlete, his dad probably a professional athlete. They, they understand, hey, get the money locked in, but you do want to continue to be able to build a legacy that you're proud of and to be able to continue having success on the field, which, all, which, which obviously – is impacted by the guys around you. So all of that being said, he also absolutely got that money. Like, no, this is not charitable, but I do think the structure actually uh, walks that talk, if you will. So I mentioned those first three years, right? This year, it's his rookie number. Next year, it's his fifth-year option. In 2022, he's a middle-of-the-road quarterback in terms of salary. I mean, you know, of that top, I think he's like set to be like seventh in the league or something in 2022. Well, 2023 is the first year that you get one of those numbers you'd be worried about. $42.5 million, $40 million the next year, 41 after that. You know, that's, that's sort of the sort of the minute that ramps up again in kind of that third third of the contract. But in 2023, where his number jumps over 40 for the first time, the Chiefs have a total of three players under contract for 2023 as of right now. It's Patrick Mahomes. It's Frank Clark, the pass rusher, and Harrison Butker, the kicker. Those are the only three guys on the cap then, and if they wanted to move on from Clark and Butker, they could do that in 2023. The point of that is, it's a a pretty big number. Also, by 2023, the cap's going to be going back up again. I'm fully confident in that, Uh, and probably by some leaps and bounds. As the gambling money gets in there, new TV deals are going to be worked out as often as the league can get them. They're going to be building around Patrick Mahomes. There's not a bidding on a free agent quarterback, and certainly it's not bidding on Kirk Cousins, a, a guy who is not deserving of that much money because he's not going to improve your team by that much. They're going to know what their number is for Mahomes for the long run, which makes them ha- – having that – something else that Brett Beach talked about, having that locked in, having that cap certainty from Patrick Mahomes in the long run makes it easier to plan around him. I'm glad you mentioned the name Kirk Cousins because that's a great example, and I think Dak Prescott might be another good example. When when ultimately Dallas decides to pay him and we see what that number looks like, it's going to be completely outrageous. And despite this being the richest contract in, in history for Patrick Mahomes, you're going to see Dak Prescott get paid or you're going to look at what Kirk Cousins makes and think it's absolutely worth paying Patrick Mahomes what he got. 100%. People talk about the salary cap, you know, and no one's ever won a Super Bowl. It's more than 13% of the cap on offer, which is an arbitrary number, but whatever. Uh, but, yeah, that's the whole thing, man. Like, what are you what are you making cap space for if not to pay your generational quarterback? I, I have been banging this drum for, I mean, since before the draft of Patrick Mahomes, to be honest. The, the, the biggest advantage you can create for yourself in the NFL is to have a rookie contract quarterback who is playing really, really well. And the Chiefs have had that advantage these last two seasons. Got one Super Bowl from it, an AFC Championship game appearance, lost from it. And they'll have it again in 2020, where he's just at $5 million. It's the biggest advantage you can get. But the next biggest advantage you can have is to have a truly elite quarterback. So I, I would not be sitting here defending a huge deal for Kirk Cousins. Dak is like on a line for me, where you can probably make him the watermark of how do I feel about paying him a ton of money. Patrick Mahomes is so far on the other side of the line here that this does not even make me, that doesn't even make me hesitate to think, is this worth it? Yeah, of course it's worth it. 
he's Patrick Mahomes. He's been that good this quickly. Who else do they have to pay this offseason? Is Chris Jones up this year? Yeah, he's, he's the only one right now. He's the only big one. They, they did work out the restructuring for Sammy Watkins, which I continue to be a little um, not frustrated by, but maybe a bit confused as to their evaluation of him. It's not like crazy, but it's, it's a little bit confusing. Uh, but yeah, but Chris Jones is on the franchise tag right now, and we're less than a week out from that deadline. They have to have a long-term deal done by July 15th. Otherwise, they can't keep negotiating, and they'll have to play under the tag. He's already tweeted that he would consider sitting out. I don't think he would unless uh, COVID ends up being a, a bigger factor and like no one feels terribly safe playing this game, which is definitely on the table. But yeah, he's the one deal now. And, and for a while, those conversations have been widely reported as like not happening. And, and there was some talk. I think it's a bit of an excuse, a bit of a cop-out, but also some truth to it, especially now seeing how complex Mahomes' deal was. There's a little bit of talk of, you know, that they want to get Mahomes locked in first before they can do with Chris Jones. And if they don't send Mahomes this offseason, obviously the implication there is that they wouldn't be able to extend Jones either. I think there's a chance that it gets done before that, that July 15th deadline. I'm not super optimistic because I think at this point, the Chiefs are happy to pay him $16 million this year and then figure it out again next offseason, tag him for a second time if they can do, and then probably move on from it, probably try to trade in for uh, for a, a you know mid-first-round draft pick to a high-first-round draft pick if he plays really well again, which I don't hate, but I do think that, that as much as as much as this front office has done a lot of really, really smart things, they seem to value Chris Jones less than I would at this point. Or they just really were waiting to get Mahomes locked in, and if they sign him the long-term deal within the next few days, then uh, then they didn't actually value him less. They were really just trying to get Mahomes' mask done first. And I do think that's an option. I think it's less likely than the playoff this year on the tag option, but I do think it's, I think it's on the table. How much of this Mahomes contract do you think Andy Reid sees as the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs? I think, I know this isn't really an answer because it's not a number, but I think the answer is going to be more than most people would say is the answer, if that makes sense. Uh, he's 60. He's 62. Like, Bill Belichick and, uh, and Pete Carroll are both six years older than Andy Reid. And, and he answered this question in the press conference. And he, he answered this question, it feels like, once every couple of months in a presser. So how much longer are you, are you feeling like doing this? I, I think genuinely, I don't, I don't know Andy Reid personally, but I you know, listen to Andy Reid talk five times a week. I genuinely believe that Andy Reid is having the most fun he's ever had in football right now. And so I have no reason to bet on him stepping away. He's over 60, so that's true. But it's, it's also not even like he's been dealing with like major health issues. Like I'm not, I don't, I don't know what his, I don't know what his uh, physical would come back with, but that's so wildly speculative that, that for me, I think the biggest thing is, he feels good enough to be out there coaching constantly. And I think he's genuinely, like, I, if he retired, what would he do? I think he'd be drawing up plays to uh, to email to his former assistant for now other head coaches, like, hey, try this one, because you've got a great quarterback who can pull it off. But he has the quarterback right now. Like, his entire career has been spent drawing up plays for Alex Smith or Donovan McNabb, the guys who can pull off some stuff, but 
but can't reach the edges of his imagination or drawing up plays for Kevin Cobb. Like, no, no matter what, he's been making it work in his system, but he's got Patrick Mahomes right now. Like, this is this is the exact thing that I imagine he's been hoping to have at some point in his career for his entire career. Almost no coach actually gets this guy, and now he has it. So if I was going to give you a number, I'd take the over on five years, and I would not hesitate. Um, I would probably – I, I think I think I would say probably coaches to 70, which is eight years. And even then, I mean, again, if there's a health thing or whatever, that obviously changes everything, and I don't want to you know project that. But, hell, if he's healthy, he, he might be here as long as Mahomes is. Like, I just don't see it becoming less fun for him than, than it would be to just sit at home. That's the thing that stands out to me about Andy Reid and coaching this guy is he finally has somebody that can basically – it's like, like Patrick Mahomes is like a video game quarterback. You can literally 100%. have him run left and throw the ball 30 yards to the right hash and the ball's going to get there yep. accurately and on time. And, like, he just stretches you more than any quarterback in the history of the game stretches you because of the mobility – the arm strength, the the different deliveries that he can give you, there's not really a part of the field that's off limits at any given time. And so defenses are just stretched so thin. It's Andy Reid's just got to be, like, giddy when he's drawing this stuff up. Yeah, 100%. It literally, I, I, was just, I was just about to mention, it's like a video game character, but he can do it. Because Andy Reid has been designing these crazy, he's been designing these plays and these beautiful offenses for for decades now in various forms and they're evolving and everything. And he's been doing it with like a normal quarterback in a video game. And now he has a guy with every slider knocked out. And it's like, well, yeah, why would I, why would I stop doing this? Like it's still, it's still a challenge, obviously a difficult sport, but, but his imagination now is the limitation to what the offense can do. And that's never been true before because, because, some human being is always the limitation until now because he has Patrick Mahomes or has uh, virtually none of those on a human being scale. It sounds crazy to give a guy half a, a billion dollars, um, but I think when you look at what the guy's already accomplished, like I said, with 31 career starts, he's started less than mm -hmm. two full seasons and he already, like, he's a Hall of Famer already. Even if he's just kind yeah. of average for 10 more years and never even gets close to what he's done to this point, like, if he's like Phillip Rivers for the next 10 years and doesn't win any Super Bowls but just puts up a bunch of big numbers and that's about it, like, he's still going to be a Hall of Famer. My question isn't really, I guess, if, but how many more this guy wins. And it's crazy that a guy this young kind of like LeBron James, we're able to see the greatness so early on that we get to kind of take the ride knowing that this guy has a chance to be on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I think that last point is an excellent one. As far as numbers, everything I want to say feels insane. Like, uh, it's such a difficult, it's a difficult sport. Stuff happens, but stuff happened last year. Last year, his kneecap ended up on the side of his leg, and Matt Moore, who was coaching high school football, ended up starting some games, and, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So, you know, if, if you have me look at the next 10 years, I think less than three total would be disappointing to people, which is nuts. 
because we just went 50 years without one here in Kansas City. So, you know, the, the difficulty of it all being, I think they're probably in half, this is, again, that sounds insane, but I think you have to think they're in half of the AFC Championship games in the next decade. I, and that's, which is, again, five. You win three of those and then win two of those Super Bowls. It's really hard. And I think, I think a total of three rings, for whatever reason for me, like that, that sort of settles in as being a, a nice number. I think less than that would be a little disappointing, even though when you, once you break it down to like how many AFC championship games they're going to be in, how many they're going to win, maybe they're in six or seven of the next 10 and then win half of those and then win half of the math is insane because all of that as my like sort of uh, hesitant answers, I suppose. I don't know how many times in the next decade they won't be the best team in the sport. It's a different question than how many championships will they win. But I I don't see him giving up the Patriots-like mantle of being the the number one of the bullet favorite for a decade. I don't, I don't see them really giving that away anytime soon, as long as it is Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, and they're going to figure out everything else. Before I let you go, uh, draft night, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is the first-round pick, and they make that selection, and it was just like the light bulb in my head turned on, and I was like, oh, my gosh. it's it's That's like the perfect guy that they could add to that offense. Yeah, and I, I think that's true. I also would – a light bulb went on over my head because I realized I made a horrible, horrible bet. Um, I do the, uh, the Time is Ours podcast with uh, Seth Kaiser and Nate Taylor on The Athletic. And a couple of times I have made a remarkably stupid, I've made a remarkably stupid thing where I've said, uh, I'd be shocked if this thing happened. And then the, one of the earlier times I said, you know what? I said, you know what? I'd be shocked. Literally. You can, you can drive over here and cave me if blank happens. And, and this year, the very stupid thing was the Chiefs aren't going to draft a running back in the first round. I'd be shocked. Literally. And so now I'm waiting for uh, I'm waiting for eventually the, uh, the 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 loss on that bet to cash in, and and Seth is going to drive down from Minnesota at some point and pays me because I'm an idiot who can't stop making bad predictions. Um, that that notwithstanding, yeah, the fit I think makes sense. I hate spending a first round pick on a running back because I'm way more concerned about like the cornerback position that they haven't really invested in for the last several years. Like I would have been more excited about Christian Fulton going there at 32 or a number of the corners who were still available. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm going to get, I'm going to get electrocuted and the offense is going to be really good in this offense. I just would have rather address running back much later and continue trying to add some traits as opposed to adding the one guy who you think can do it all. But I think Andy Reid likes the idea of having a running back. He can always leave on the field. But I think you're right, and also I'm an idiot. Those are my main two points. <laughs> I assume that that's going to be recorded and tweeted? Oh, yeah. No, it, <laughs> the only thing sadder than me getting tased because of a stupid football opinion is the idea of me getting tased and that never seeing the light of day. Like, that, if that doesn't make – I'm probably going to pee my pants on the Internet. That sort of feels like we're radical. Yeah, I'm just don't drink any water for like 24 hours. 
Yeah, no, I that's good. I'll be dehydrated and electrocuted. That also sounds healthy. I'm going to the hospital. I mean, look, you can, or you could just piss yourself, and you know, I mean, it's it's it, there's not a good scenario. I'm just trying to. I've heard that no. if you're ever gonna, if you know you're gonna get tased, then you know there's a chance that that could that could happen. I will certainly keep that in mind. <laughs> and I mean, like you said, there's no good outcome there other than I guess Clyde Edwards Alaire being really good. I hope that happens and I I can just live with this forever. But yeah, no, it's, it's going to be bad. Very nice. That is at JB Briscoe on Twitter. And uh, we'll certainly keep an eye out for that. Josh, always appreciate your time, man. <laughs> uh, it's been a lot of fun. and We'll do it again soon. Absolutely, man. Anytime. That is Josh Briscoe. Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City and Arrowhead Report on SI Now. You can follow him on Twitter at JB Briscoe. Once again, big thanks to both of my guests, Kyle and Josh, for joining me. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast. Please rate the podcast. And don't hesitate to reach out and uh, interact with me. I, I love that part of all of this. So at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, Colby.Daniels on Instagram. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, and I will talk to you next week.